This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, welcome to the One Organized Mama podcast. My name is Janelle, and I am One Organized Mama. Girl, you're not Gwyneth. I don't ever say that to anybody, but it's something that has gone through my head. What the heck am I talking about? Okay, if I pull up the Google app on my phone and I type the letter G, it auto-populates to Gwyneth's Pantry. Or if I type in Y, it goes to Yolanda's fridge. No idea what I'm talking about still? Well, I encourage you to Google these two phrases after you listen to this podcast episode. But basically what I'm talking about is there are two famous spaces that have debuted a few years ago that I've heard people talk about over and over and over. And I've gone over these spaces with clients and friends to kind of point out some things that people may not realize about them. Unfortunately, I feel like these are the spaces that kind of have tried to set the standard for how your home should be organized. And I don't totally agree with that. I mean, let's face it, a lot of these homes are owned by people that can afford really large staffs. You know, for instance, a few years ago, my team and I were hired to work in a very high profile celebrity home. They were moving into this home in Las Vegas and they required a minimum of four professional organizers, six to eight hours a day for about two and a half weeks. And just so you know what the price of this is, that was $200 an hour for four organizers. They could afford it. And um, we were able to really kind of dive deep and get into the nitty gritty details because we had the manpower and we had the resources behind us with the with the client. They were able to buy any product we suggested and they just wanted, done, wanted it done to this level of perfection. Um, but not everybody has those same resources, and that's okay if you don't. Um, those spaces are certainly fun to look at. I believe they should be used as inspiration, not a, a standard that you should set your home by or your self-worth. Because I think it's kind of unfortunate that if you're setting your self-worth by what your home looks like, we need to work on a little bit of life balance a little bit. You should have other things that you're proud of besides what your home looks like. But like I said, these spaces can serve as inspiration. And I've um, gone over them with clients and friends um, a lot of times over the years since they made their debut a few years ago. And I've shown them what is an impossible standard and things that we can pull and implement into their own homes and spaces. So the point of this is that I don't want you to judge yourself by 
these um, super high celebrity standards, I want you to take pride in your own home and be proud of your own projects. I have my four-step process that I apply to organizing any place or space in your home. And I'm going to go over those with you today. And at the end, I hope this inspires you to take um, on a few projects in your home, organize them in a way that makes sense to you, organize them in a way where you are proud so that you're not judging yourself by impossible standards or unrealistic expectations out there. Okay, are you ready? You can listen to this episode over and over. You can jot down some notes. If you have any questions ever, I'm always available via um, my Facebook page, Want to Organize Mama. You can send me a message. I also have a Instagram under the same, One Organized Mama. Drop me a DM. Or you can always email me at oneorganizedmama, M-A-M-A, at gmail.com. Okay, so what are the four steps? Well, let's start with step number one. Step number one is declutter and sort. All right, declutter. Let's talk about that for a second. You have got to get rid of stuff if you want to get organized. Um, I learned this really early on in my career when I was a little bit less um maybe pushy with my clients where um, I didn't kind of push back a little bit to say, hey, do you really use this? Do you need this? Do you like this? Do you want this? Um, And so what I kind of found myself doing, or I felt like I was doing, I was just moving stuff from one space to another. And that always kind of bothered me. And even though it's been years ago, and I've literally organized hundreds, hundreds of spaces over the years, there are still some of those first projects that stick out of my head and I kind of feel guilty about them because I just felt like instead of really challenging my client, like, hey, let's let's really consider whether you need this stuff or not, I just kind of left it and um, put it in a box or bin for them. And I hope over the years they were able to go through and um, get rid of a lot of that stuff because I really do think clutter is um, something that impedes us in a lot of areas in our life, in our relationships, in um, achieving our goals and all of all of those things that we should really be focused on in life. So I encourage you to really kind of challenge yourself with decluttering. How? Well, if you struggle with decluttering, I encourage you to start small. And by small, I mean one drawer at a time, or one cabinet at a time, one small space at a time. I want you to have these little victories during your organizing journey. And if you can open up one drawer and be like, hey, this space looks really neat. It'll bring you it'll bring you joy. Um, And I want you to find that through organizing. I want you to be proud of your space. I want you to be able to find your stuff. And even if we start small, those small little steps are going to add up to be major progress. So start small, even if it's one drawer at a time. If you're looking at your dresser drawer, 
start with one and then move on to the next. So eventually one dresser drawer organized turns into two, turns into three, turns into eventually your entire dresser is organized. If you're looking at a space and it's kind of hard to figure out how to start small, so say you have a guest bedroom that's become a quote unquote collection room or junk room or you know whatever the room that you throw all the stuff in to hide from people. Um, and it's kind of hard for you to say, well, there's not really a drawer, cabinet, or small space for me to start. Another way that you can start small is by using a timer. It's the timer technique that I call, um, and you've probably heard it if you've uh, listened to a lot of my different episodes. Um, do not go beyond 20 minutes on your timer. Why? The average adult attention span is about 18 to 20 minutes. So um, again, something you can Google if you want to learn a little bit more, but the most famous speeches in history are always about 16 to 18 minutes long. And that's because when we go beyond 20 minutes, we get distracted. And this thing happens where we get pulled away and we move on and, you know, you'll take something and you'll go put it away and like get caught up with another project. And before you know it, you have left this like trail of little piles. Um, and so I don't want you to, to face that. I want you to just put on 20 minutes on your timer. I want you to see what you can get done in that 20 minutes. And then when your timer dings, I want you to walk away. I want you to bag up your trash or your donations. I want you to put the stuff away and then I want you to walk away from the project. You can do another 20 minutes, like an hour later, a day later, a week later, whatever. But again, it's important to start small. And you may think like, what the heck can I really get done in 20 minutes? I took off um, two days from work to get everything decluttered. Well, a lot of times we know if we jump into a big job, unless we really, really know what we're doing, we're going to end up with just a lot of little piles or unfinished projects. So it's important, again, to stay small, start small and stay small when you're starting um, organizing. Okay, as we're going through the decluttering process, there are a list of seven questions that I go through with clients. Does it fit? Do you use it? Do you have space for it? Is it sentimental? Does it work? Does it have value? Do you love it? So as you're going through, there's going to be items that you're going to pick up and you're going to say, you know what? I have no idea. Well, I want you to kind of go through and I want you to ask yourself these questions like, does it fit? Well, if it doesn't fit, why are you keeping it? Maybe um, you have a connection with a weight loss journey, or um, maybe you've gained weight, and this is something that reminds you of of where you want to be in your weight loss goals and journey. It's okay to keep maybe one item for inspiration, but it's something that I really want you to display or use to to help you. I don't want you to keep a bunch of clothes. Um, or items that don't fit just because of memories. It, it 
because this is something that can get out of hand really quickly. So um, does it fit? Do you use it? A lot of times people will keep stuff, but they don't use it. Um, I find this in my um, own personal life, for instance, toiletries or makeup. I'll hold on to like makeup or stuff because it was expensive when I bought it, but I don't use it and it's taking up valuable space. Um, Speaking of space, do you have space for it? Um, Are you displaying something like, for instance, maybe it's large appliances in your kitchen. You don't have space for them. And then when you dive a little bit deeper, you realize I don't really use this stuff anyway. Uh, One trick that you can use is a sticker technique. If this is, if you're not sure if you use it or not, put a use by date on a little piece of tape or sticker or post-it note and stick it on the item. Um, Put a realistic date. So for instance, if it's something that you're just not sure if you use or not, put by the end of the month. So right now we're at the beginning of February, put February 28th, 29th um, on that. And then if you don't use it, you know by March 1st, that it's something that you can probably part with. Um, Is it sentimental? Um, One of the most difficult things that I go through as a professional organizer is when I'm organizing for clients and they claim that these items are very sentimental, but they're insisting we throw them back in these dusty cardboard boxes. And I I think it's a little bit of a, um, uh, a travesty that we're doing. If it's truly something that's sentimental, you must honor it. If it is something that is from a loved one who's passed away, you can still honor it. And if it's something that's very difficult for you to see on a daily basis, still honor it by putting it in a proper bin or container and then putting it in a special place. For instance, I have a client who's lost, um, who lost two very, very dear loved ones in a very short um, time span. And so when I was organizing for her, I kind of gathered and collected those items. I put them in a special bin and I just simply labeled them special keepsakes. Um, I put them kind of up high and in the back. And that way, and then I just let her know, hey, just FYI, the items from these two people are placed in this space. So you won't see them, but you'll know they're there. And that kind of gave her comfort to know that um, she wasn't going to come across these items because they could be very painful to her, but she knew they were in a very special place where they weren't going to get dusty or water damage or anything like that. So again, if it's something that's sentimental, honor the item. Does it work? I see this a lot with electronic items. Um, if it's not something that's working, it's probably an okay time to recycle it or donate it or find someone that maybe wants to take the time to fix it. Again, I find this with electronic items. I don't know if you realize, but like sometimes cheaper just to buy a brand new one than to get something repaired. Um, I don't quite understand this, but that's just the way that um, electronics are these days. So if you have like a vacuum cleaner or TV or something um, and you go out on social media or look look in your community for different organizations, for instance, here locally in Las Vegas, 
the Nevada Center of the Blind does a, has a wonderful program where you can donate electronic items. And I'm not exactly sure what they do with them, but um, it um, is something that helps people who are blind um, um, earn a living doing. And so it's a wonderful program. I'm sorry, I'm kind of butchering it. I don't know the exact details about it, but I have gone to donate items and they make it super simple and they help you unload from your car. So I'm sure there are programs like that in your community. So if you have an item that doesn't work, then try to find someone that can have some use from it. Um, Does it have value? Okay. I'm going to get brutally honest with you here. It probably only has value to you. I know you spent a ton of money on it, but let's get real. Um, It probably doesn't matter. Have you ever had a yard sale or sold something on these online groups? In fact, I have. I used to do estate sales as part of my business. I used to sell stuff um, online and I can't stand it because people want to pay pennies on the dollar for the stuff that I paid really good money for or that my clients paid really good money for. I would, I'm sorry, I would rather donate to a wonderful charity than to haggle over pennies. It's just not worth my time. So, um, and I just can't stand it. It actually just, oh, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Anyway, I'm like, just donate it to a great charity. Um, I know I've had clients over the years and even family members who are like, bought art or, um, I don't know, beautiful clothing, jewelry, a lot of different stuff like that. And they really, um, believe that they're going to get their full money back and they hang on to these things forever. But the fact of the matter is, unless you really have the time to invest, to find the right buyers, again, it's just better to donate some of these items to a wonderful charity in your community. Um, it's very time consuming to find buyers that are going to buy, um, these types of goods and not every city. I live in a big metropolitan area. Um, Las Vegas certainly is a city with a lot of people with money. And when I have tried to help clients research like art dealers and that type of thing, it's actually been really difficult even in a big city. So, um, it's something that I've had to find and go to like LA or some other cities to try to find um, people who understood the value of items that my clients were trying to sell. So again, unless you have the time or inclination to do the research and deal with all the haggling, it's just better to give it away to somebody else, or at least that's my opinion. All right, the next question and the last question is, do you love it? Do you love the item? Why do we keep stuff that we don't even like? One of my um, organizers over the years, Jelena, one of the questions she asks her clients during organizing sessions is, if you were in a store today, would you buy it? And (laughs) sometimes when we ask ourselves that, we're like, no, I would not buy this. Then why are you keeping it? Let it go. Donate it to somebody that could use it or love it. All right, so as we're going through the decluttering process, a big part of this, step one, is also sorting. So I have some sorting signs 
available. So if you, again, want to shoot me an email, I'm happy to email you some free PDFs of them. Um, but they're keep, trash, sell or shred, donate, recycle. Um, I don't like the sell one. Again, I, I discourage people unless you're like a super savvy seller. Like I have friends that are like pros at it and they are part of all the Facebook sale groups and they sell stuff almost daily. Um, unless you're in that camp, you probably don't need to worry about a sale pile. But again, part of the decluttering process is sorting. So you're simply taking an item, you're asking yourself the question, is it a keep or is it a toss um, in the trash? Is it a donate? Is it a shred? Is it a recycle item? And then you're placing it in one of the piles. Again, if you want, you can um, just write out your sorting signs or again, email me and I'll send you the free PDFs. Um, a few notes about sorting is once you've gone through your space, so again, starting small, you've cleared out that drawer, your, that drawer is empty, you're going to bag your trash, you're going to bag your donations, you're going to shred stuff, and then you're going to deal with your keep pile. From your keep pile, it's really simple. I just want you to group like items together. What do I mean by this? I want you to think about when you're shopping. How do you know where in the store to get stuff? Well, in a store, things are grouped by like items, right? Produce is in the produce section. Dairy is with dairy. Um, I want you to think of your home kind of in the same way. So group like items together. Who does it belong to? Which room does it belong in? How frequently do you use it? Or perhaps you need to group it <clears throat> by size or color. So once you deal with your keep pile and you've grouped like items, that easily moves us into step number two. And step number two is all about creating a zone. Um, some people call this in the industry space planning. Create a zone, though, is... Again, I want you to think about the grocery store, or I want you to think of different businesses in your life. When you go into your home, I want you to know where everything belongs, and everyone in your family should know where things belong. So a few tips on how to create a zone. Again, every item in your home should have a home in your home. Um, who owns it? So if you wanted to say, hey, this belongs to my kid, it goes in my kid's room, then there you go. Where do you naturally use this? Obviously, as we're going through declutter and we're sorting, we're going to kind of put things group like items together. So kitchen items belong in the kitchen, toiletries and, you know, shampoos, all of that makeup, um, that stuff that maybe belongs in your bathroom. Um, for instance, if you have outdoor stuff, because sometimes I know, especially with kids, like the outdoor toys make it inside and you're like, don't play with that in the house. Um, those go back outside, um, either maybe in the garage or a shed or just on the back patio. Um, how frequently do you use this? You can really think about this when it comes to activities that you don't do um, all the time. For instance, you can think of this when it comes to sports. Um, if you have winter sport equipment, 
um, that can all belong together. Like for instance, I have all of our snow, cold weather gear together for the entire family in one spot. Um, or you can think of this in the terms of like holidays. Um, even though my Christmas stuff isn't exactly categorized in the same, like I have kitchen Christmas and I have stuff that goes out my front door and Christmas tree, but it's all Christmas and I only use it once a year. So all my Christmas stuff is stored together and that's my Christmas zone. And also another thing to consider with creating a zone is where does it fit? Um, it's kind of the round peg in a square hole type of theory. Um, if it doesn't fit, again, you may want to go back to step one and decide, do you really need this item? You can certainly get creative with fitting stuff. For some reason, the first thing that pops in my head is a vacuum cleaner. Um, Las Vegas homes, for instance, are not awesome about having um, hall closets or um, linen closets. Uh, they, there's a lot of closet space like in bedrooms, but um, a lot of times we've found when we're working in client homes, it's hard to find where do we put the vacuum cleaner because there's not a hall closet. And I guess that's because like a coat closet generally is for like coats and we don't live in a climate where we have a lot of um, coats and stuff. So a vacuum cleaner, for instance, I don't have a space like a um, a closet that we hang. So I put my vacuum cleaner actually in my laundry room. So that's something that even though it doesn't totally make sense, but it kind of does and it's where it fits. So again, you can get creative, but make sure it's an item that you actually use. Um, Again, kitchen appliances are a big one. People will buy these ginormous kitchen appliances and they don't have space for them. And then they end up not using them and they take up tremendous amounts of space on countertops. And quite honestly, sometimes they make a kitchen look very cluttered. So by creating a zone, it simply means having a home for every item in your home. All right, on to step number three, label and contain. All right, we'll start with containers. I cannot count how many times I've gone to a client's home and they've been super proud because they ran to the container store or Target or Walmart and they bought all kinds of containers uh, for a space or a project. Well, guess what my question is? Did you keep the receipt? Because there's a lot of things to consider when it comes to containers. First, have you measured? Have you measured your space? I guarantee you almost 100% of people before they run out to buy containers have not measured their space. So they don't even know if they fit. So buying containers is not the first step. This is why I have step number three. Um, because again, you have to find a home. It's okay to put just something on a shelf or on the floor in a space where it belongs and makes sense and then go buy the container because then you'll know what size of container you need, right? It's pretty simple. So a few notes when it comes to containers. I encourage people to only purchase three different colors of containers, black, white, and clear. 
I know some of you are rolling your eyes out there because I find this every single time. I even find this with my own, um, my team of professional organizers because they're like, well, what about gray? Well, guess what, girlfriend? You're going to buy gray containers and there's going to be like one space that you'll need. And next time you go to Target or to the container store or wherever you bought your gray containers, if you remember exactly where you bought them, you even if you find the right container, I guarantee you that gray will be a different shade of gray than the other containers that you bought. And it will bug you. And if you're a little bit OCD like me, it will really bug you. And then you'll be like, oh, I can't use these because every time I open this, I see that one stupid container that stands out because it's not the same shade of gray as the other ones. I know these are the crazy things that sometimes go through our heads. So in order to avoid that, I know it sounds super boring, but really consider either white, black, or clear containers. Generally speaking, white and black, um, even if you can't find the exact same, white and black generally look the same. It's yes, there's some color variations with them, but for the most part, white is white, black is black, especially with black. I really like black containers. Black and clear are probably my favorite. Um, white just sometimes gets really dusty and dirty. Okay. Um, I don't like clear containers for long-term storage. Um, I know that there are some school of thoughts out there that you should be able to see inside of a container. I agree for like the pantry or the bathroom um, or even kids' spaces. I don't like it for my garage. I prefer just black containers in my garage. Um, and I just feel like sometimes they have those really thick, heavy ones that are um, waterproof. Um, garages are notorious for massive temperature changes. Or if, goodness forbid, a few years ago, like what happened to us, our water heater leaked everywhere and we had a flood in our garage. I was grateful that my um, containers were like those heavy duty, um, thick black ones and stuff because it did protect a lot of our stuff. All right. Another thing to consider with containers is that not everything needs a container. So I'm a grab and go kind of girl. If I um, buy a container, it has to really have a purpose. It just needs to be something that I can like open packaging, dump it in. I can get rid of packaging because that is something that I super hate, like I hate packaging. And I just like when I can grab and grow, go or easily pour something. So if it's something that um, kind of fits those criteria or in those categories, then yes, it probably does need a container. Also, if it needs to be kept fresh, so sometimes like flowers, um, those are hard to pour from the bags. And I'm not a big baker or someone that uses a ton of flour. So um, a great container, and I love the OXO containers with the pop-up lids. Um, those are great for storing items that need to stay fresh. One area where I use containers almost always, um, and it's something that's quite overlooked, it is for drawers. I do have a lot of um, containers I use in drawers because I like things to stay in place. Because as we know, when we like open and close drawers, things roll around and get mixed up. So I highly encourage you, if there's one area to invest in for containers, it's for your drawers to keep everything in place. 
Okay, let's move on to labels. Again, I'm going to use the wonderful Gwyneth Paltrow's pantry as an example. She has everything beautifully labeled in there. Now, to be honest, it's a little too labeled. Um, for instance, she has goji berries. I mean, I don't know, maybe goji berries are, are a staple in some people's diets, and that's something that they're going to always have on hand and always buy. It's always going to be on their grocery list. For most of us, like we'll go through like our goji berry phase and then we'll like get tired of them or forget about them or realize like we don't even like these. So don't get too specific with your labels um, because what's going to happen is you're going to label goji berries and then you're going to stop buying them, but you need that container and then you're going to have to take off the label and then either try to find the person who made that label for you or whatever. It's just, it's just an ordeal. So, um, for instance, if you're storing items in clear jars, you really don't have to label. I mean, I like to buy a lot of nuts and I can tell the difference between a walnut and a pistachio just by looking at them. I really don't need walnuts and pistachios as a label because when I go to wash those containers, those labels get kind of gunky and Honestly, I'm just, for the most part, not going to take the time to replace them every single time they get washed. So if the item is obvious, it's in a clear container, don't stress or worry about labels. I do think labels are good for like items. So things that you need to tell apart. Again, referring back to Gwyneth's pantry, she has different pastas and she does have a rice pasta on the bottom right hand corner. Again, I know this pantry quite well. Well, that's great to distinguish from her other pastas, like she has a penne pasta right next to it. Um, So if you have someone that's like gluten-free and you need to keep things kind of separate, that is a great thing to do. Um, One of the, the areas where I do label a lot of my stuff is for baking goods. Um, I need to easily be able to tell between baking powder, baking soda, or different types of flour, or (laughs) sugar and salt. So those are two areas where I do make sure I have labels when they are like items. Um, Another area to consider when doing labels is for kids. Um, Sometimes kids just kind of like labels, but also kids destroy labels, um, to be quite honest. And if you have a kid that keeps all their labels I mean, super awesome because I don't think any of my kids have actually kept any labels on any of their stuff, but I know that there are kids out there that are much more compliant than mine, but for, it is great for just for cleanup. If you just say, you know, dolls or trucks or whatever, and just keep the labels very um, general uh, to not stress out your kids and kind of cut them some slack too. Sometimes if the toys are just picked up and out of the way, that is good enough um, for for kids' spaces. Another area to consider for labels, if the containers are opaque, if they're your black or your white containers, again, I love the black containers in my garage. Obviously, those need a label. So I'll put camping equipment or whatever on the outside so that we know where things are stored and what's in those containers. But basically, you need a label if it's not obvious. Don't worry about labeling everything. 
I have so many clients who (laughs) say they want everything labeled in their home and I have complied and I have tried and I tell you, it's something that really is very difficult to maintain unless you have a lot of help maintaining it. All right, so that's a little bit on label and contain. All right, lastly, I'm going to get into step four, and this is probably the one thing that kind of stands out in my four steps that not a lot of people are out there talking about, and that is teach and maintain. Once you've organized a space, how do you keep it organized? Um, Some of the techniques I've talked about, the timer technique, the sticker technique, those are all um, techniques that can be used in step four, label and contain, or excuse me, step four, teach and maintain. Um, So I've gone over some of them, but I can break this down to daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. So daily, again, if you've been following me for some time, I want you to plan every single day. So get in the habit of doing some daily planning. You tell what your day is going to happen, not what's going to happen in your day. So take a little bit of control into your day by doing some planning every single day. Also, every single day, I want you to have three, and I mean only three household chores that are going to alleviate some headache from you for you and help you feel like you're keeping up with your house. So many of us, it feels like we blink an eye and our house is out of control. Um, my three daily tasks that I do is I make my bed every day, I make sure my kitchen's cleaned, and I do one load of laundry or I deal with the laundry. On a on an ideal day, I'll put one load in the washer, switch it over to the dryer, fold it, put it away. Sometimes that doesn't happen. But if I can just at least get one load washed or one load folded and put away, I mean, great. That's been a successful day. So um, don't, again, hold yourself to these impossible high standards. Pick three daily tasks that are important to you every single day and Make sure you get those things done every day. I'm not going to lie. My husband works a swing shift. So for making my bed, it's still so ingrained in me to have my bed made that even though he'll sleep in till late morning or even depending on what time he comes home at night um, into the early afternoon, um, I'll still go in and make up my bed. Even if it's, you know, five or six o'clock at night, I'll just kind of tidy it up because I like to make sure I get my three tasks done every single day. All right. Um, The other thing for daily is a 20-minute tidy. Again, this only really works if everyone in your home knows where everything belongs. Um, Put a timer on for 20 minutes and gather your everyone in your household and have everyone put all the stuff away. And this really kind of keeps clutter at bay. All right. Weekly, Every week, once a week, I want you to deal with your paperwork. I want you to um, open mail. I want you to kind of organize your bills or whatever. Kids' paperwork from school, all of that stuff. So I want you to deal with your paperwork once a week. Um, I want you to continue doing your weekly planning. And this is kind of keeping your eyes on your goal. We know how fast a week goes by. So every week, I want you to look at your priorities in your planning stage 
And I want you to keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the goals. Monthly, I have a monthly declutter sheet and you can focus on one space that you're going to focus on to declutter once a month. So right now we're in February and it really kind of depends on what part of the country you live in. Um, In Las Vegas, nobody wants to be organizing a garage when it's 117 degrees outside in the middle of July or August. So if you live in the warmer climates, do some of your um, organizing for garages and those spaces in the cooler months and maybe vice versa. Or if you're in the home and you live in a colder climate, maybe this is a month that you focus on like the laundry and linen closet. But I have a guide for you that helps you do a monthly purge so that every space in your house gets purged once a month. Um, I do want you to implement your um, sticker techniques. So if there are items in your home that you are not sure if you're going to use or wear or keep, put a sticker on it, kind of give it a month's um, time to see if this is really something you're going to use. Once that date has passed, if you haven't used this item, it's okay to let it go. All right, yearly. Every year, once a year, I want you to focus on purging your paperwork system. Um, I'm going to be diving a little bit deeper into paperwork for the month of March, so stay tuned and I'll get into paperwork organization then. But once a year, I do encourage people to focus on their paperwork systems and uh, do a purge once a year. And again, going through the monthly purge, I want you to look and a year can start at any time. It doesn't have to start in January. We're now in February. You can start your year in February and say, okay, I'm going to focus on one space a month. It doesn't mean you have to do it every single day. It just means when you're doing your planning, you're going to focus on a space that you're going to, when you have a few extra minutes or a little extra time or a free weekend, you're going to focus on doing some purging in that space. And this just, again, keeps clutter at bay. It um, is something that helps you stay organized. I know this kind of, when you hear it in a podcast format, it seems like a lot. It might feel a little bit overwhelming. But again, I encourage you to listen to this podcast a few times because these techniques are actually pretty simple. Notice I didn't say easy because organizing for a lot of us isn't actually very easy. But I want you to get in the habit of organizing your space and your home so that you can feel proud of it, that you're not um, judging your home by impossible standards that are sometimes set out there, and you're not judging your self-worth by what other people think of your home. Just be proud. Be proud of your space. Be proud of how you've organized it. Make sure it works for you. And... Once again, thank you so much for listening to the One Organized Mama podcast. Share this with a friend. Um, Send me your questions. Like I said, a lot of you guys inspire the topics of these podcasts. Um, My audience I've been seeing grow every single week. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because this is something I've wanted to do for such a long time. Don't forget, follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram, One Organized Mama. My name is Janelle, and thanks again for listening.